this is Philippe Albuquerque. I am the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Neurointerventional Surgery. And I welcome you to another in our podcast on Editor's Choice Articles. Uh, this month we are featuring uh, an article in the January print issue of the Journal of Neurointerventional Surgery and currently online on the JNIS website. It is a manuscript entitled Favorable Revascularization Therapy in Patients with Aspects Less Than or Equal to 5 on DWI in Anterior Circulation Stroke. We are honored to have two of the authors uh, of this manuscript, Isabel Morand and Vincent Costelat from the Guy de Chirac Institute in Montpellier, France, uh, from the uh, Department of Neuroradiology. So uh, let's get started with uh, some of the pertinent facts of this uh, timely article. Obviously, uh, the treatment of stroke in, uh, with neurointerventional techniques is most important. And this article really uh, deals with an issue that uh, is of utmost importance, and that is trying to ascertain which group of patients are best treated with this type of therapy. And this particular manuscript looks at uh, mechanical thrombolysis in the setting of patients that uh, were once considered uh, not candidates for this type of therapy, that perhaps they were, they were too sick, but uh, this appears to be changing. So, Vincent uh, and Isabel, if you could briefly give me an introduction as to how you conceived of your study and the methods that you employed. Yes, basically, uh, until 2015, there were no results, uh, no published results on the on the thrombectomy trial at, the, at this moment. And uh, we had very, very few data uh, on patient selection regarding uh, the large uh, core uh, patients. So in our stroke unit in Montpellier since 2009, in order to offer revascularization to more important number of patients, we proposed a protocol of thrombectomy based on the coalescent decision between neurologists and neuroradiologists. This protocol was developed in a comprehensive stroke center of Montpellier with stroke unit and interventional neurology department and two other primary stroke centers that referred patients to our neurointerventional center for thrombectomy. Uh, with this protocol, we decided to treat with mechanical thrombectomy patients with large vessel occlusion, the entire circulation, and those with basal artery occlusion as well. A good candidate for thrombectomy was a patient without a severe comorbidities with a clinical radiological mismatch, NEHSS of eight or more, and uh, a patient that could be treated during the first eight hours after stroke onset. The revascularization therapy included uh, IV therapy in association with mechanical, with mechanical thrombectomy or a standalone mechanical thrombectomy. In our protocol, we include uh, patients with large vessel occlusion in the entire circulation with an aspect score of five or less. In 2014, we decided to analyze the efficacy and safety of revascularization therapy with thrombectomy or bridging therapy in this subpopulation of patients with large core. It was a retrospective analysis of patients admitted to our neurovascular unit between January 2009 and December 2014. We compared 60 uh, patients treated with thrombectomy with 48 patients in the control group with a large necrotic core on the ADC uh, aspect uh, below five. Those patients, those last group, did not meet the selective criteria for IVT or mechanical thrombectomy. So the main contraindication to mechanical thrombectomy in this subpopulation of patients was the lack of clinical radical mismatch. 
you said that you obviously performed your study based on low aspects on DWI. Uh, you mentioned that this evaluation is uh, certainly more sensitive than CT aspects. So can you discuss this and whether you believe that a trial going forward using low CT aspects would be feasible, uh, unlike your trial? So when you look deep in the literature, you do not find uh, a big level of evidence that show you a big difference between the uh, CT aspect and diffusion aspect score. Uh, and you have some uh, paper that show you that uh, it is uh, about the same uh, about the same in terms of uh, score and detection when you use uh, uh, practitioners that are, that are really used to score the aspect score. Uh, they do pretty well compared to the diffusion. But I I'm, I'm totally agree that this way of uh, uh, viewing the infarct core is really more sensitive than in the CT, especially if you are not used to, uh, to score on, on, on CT. So it may be also, of course, uh, the bias of the, the study because you, 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 you probably in, in other center would not have scored uh, this patient uh, to a three or four using a city. You may have scored this patient to, to six or seven probably, especially if you are not used to, uh, to score everyday city aspect score. Sure. So I guess that, that brings the question then that I think most people are concerned about with doing a trial such as this, there certainly will be some institutions that won't have ready access to MRI scanning and that really do make their decisions for mechanical thrombolysis based on CT aspects. So do you think then that if we're just limiting to this analysis to MR aspects that perhaps uh, in the global community we'd be we'd be missing a large percentage of patients that, that, uh, that are being evaluated through CT aspects. Mm. Yes, you're right. Of course, uh, this MR, this diffusion uh, acquisition uh, is very sharp and makes, makes very easy, I mean, the diagnostic of uh, the selection of patients based on the uh, necrotic core because it's very easy to, to see on the screen. Um, can we extend? Uh, the conclusion of uh, an MR-based studies to uh, uh, a daily practice with CT? Uh, that's a very good question, of course. Um, when you see, uh, for example, uh, in Down Trial, uh, they, 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 they may be also a, a bridge uh, between the results of a study. This is not a RCT, this is just a, a retrospective cohort, but what we see in the behavior of the, the practitioners that uh, most of the times uh, uh, the conclusion of, uh, of scientific work is enlarged to the clinical practice and uh, sometimes without following the same uh, diagnostic tool. So for example, you have um, the down criteria are very strict, for example, for the last trial we have because you need to have a target uh, clinical mismatch that is very, very severe, very, very rare to, to have in, in patients. And nevertheless, patients will use the simple concept of uh, uh, brain to be saved after, uh, after six hours to select patients to treat them. So uh, I, I agree that uh, uh, you cannot get an MR in every center, that's, that's for sure. 
but when you prove that a large core on MR may 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 uh, take advantage of the procedure, you may have this uh, prolongation of conclusion that uh, even large and very large core may benefit of the procedure. So, uh, so my, my question: Does the, the scientific work need uh, to represent exactly uh, the daily life. It is more a proof of concept, probably, in some paper, than a, a, a realistic uh, conclusion, a realistic uh, description of the daily practice of, of the, the neurointerventionist. But most of the time, this is uh, extended to a large conclusion and applied uh, with other modality of imaging. Sure. And I agree with you, Vincent. Um, another question to follow that up was that looking through your manuscript, the median delay from MRI to recanalization was 132 minutes, and median delay from symptom onset to recanalization was 327 minutes. So that's five hours and 27 minutes until recanalization. That's fairly long. Uh, again, if I was playing devil's advocate, I could ask, you know, is the MRI scanner delaying us inordinately from, from performing mechanical thrombolysis? Yeah, you're right. I think this is representing also a learning curve, the center, you know. The, the in-hospital workflow we had uh, was not the same than we have now. And those patients were a late patient because they have a large core. I mean, the time between uh, symptom onset and uh, presentation was already quite high. Uh, but the time to get an MR, it's about uh, in and out, it's about 20 minutes. I mean, the sequence, installation, and putting the patient out of the room is 20 minutes. So uh, it's, not a, it's not the explanation for this time, because I think this is a very long timing. What also you need to understand in this paper is that uh, almost 20 patients were coming from outside, meaning the last MR was performed in another center, and you need to add the time of the MR and the transportation time of the patient up to the comprehensive stroke unit. So that's why you have this big delay, the main reason. So um, just looking at the results again, uh, I, I, they were quite impressive. The, the reperfusion therapy led to significant uh, reduction in disability, uh, that was highly significant, as was the reduction in hemicraniectomy and death. Uh, were you surprised by these results? And if, if not, uh, how, how has this changed your practice in terms of uh, going forward? So uh, the first thing is that uh, we have, of course, to be cautious because it is a retrospective cohort. And uh, the patient we did not treat it there is some reason why we did not treat him that may have influence or choice during the, the patient selection that are different uh, um, from the, uh, the necrotic core volume. Nevertheless, we were not that much surprised because we had many examples of patients with a large core and very large core that uh, finally went well uh, at discharge or went well after three months or even six months. But we, we were not really surprised about the results. What has changed a lot is uh, when we saw this cohort, when we see this cohort, we see there is a clear cutoff at 70 years old. Uh, patients below 70 years old tend to uh, benefit a lot more than the patients that are older than 70 years old. And this has made us uh, to change our protocol. 
because before these studies, uh, the aspect score was a clear cutoff for us to treat a patient or not. And when the patient was below five, we were not treating the patient. Now, for the patients that are below 70 years old, we have no threshold of ASPER score. That means that if you are 50 years old, your aspect score is two, we will treat you. Because now we think there is too much doubt that the, uh, the treatment may benefit to you. So with this, this doubt being so big, we, we put you on the table. Now you are 85 years old, your aspect score is three, then we wonder what we should do or not. I think the, the influence of the class of age is a major um, factor in the patient selection with large uh, core patients. If we were to think about a, a randomized control trial, I know one of which has already started in Europe, um, should we stratify these patients based on age? Should, or, or should we just not include patients in a low aspects trial that are over 70 years of age? Okay, so you may know that we're pushing out a uh, randomized control trial in Europe that is called in extremis. And uh, in extremis uh, is uh, the inclusion of patients at the two extremes of the indication, the low NEHSS patient, 0 to 5, and also the large core patient, aspect 0 5. So uh, what we are proposing in this trial is to uh, include patients uh, 0 to 5 up to 70 years old and to uh, uh, include patients after uh, 70 years old between three to five of aspect score. That means that the subclass, the, 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 we have excluded the uh, older patient with an aspect, the very old patient, the whole patient with a very large uh, core uh, between uh, zero to. So we have took this data into account into the, the draft of the, the RCT. I think it's also nice to include largely patients 05 because uh, if you don't include them, you don't know if it's futile or not, or if, it is, if it's arming or not. So I think the best thing would be an adaptive design, including all people between 05 and doing the intermediate analysis to exclude subclass of age of patient where you feel you may not have any advantage of the procedure. I think would be really the best design to, to do for the... For the but but how, do you, how do you do that, Vincent, then? I mean, how, what, is, what is your best feeling of why you should exclude a patient then that, that is in that elderly age group? No, yes, I think that's, uh, you, you're right. The, the problem when you draw RCT is the, the number of patients to be included uh, and this number is calculated according to the difference you want to show between two groups. So if you, uh, that's the, the, the big dilemma, because if you want to, uh, to show a difference, this difference will decrease uh, the, with the age of the patient, apparently, with the, using the last data we have uh, from the MS trial. Uh, we, we saw, we see that the, the benefit is uh, decreasing uh, with the age of the patient. So when, if you include all, all very old patients with large and very large core, you will have a difference to, be, uh, to demonstrate that that will be uh, smaller. And because this will be smaller, you need to include more and more patients and it makes the RCT so costly that no one would, would fund it. So that you have to balance between these two problems of opening widely the, the window 
and uh, and to limit the number of patients to be included to have uh, to, to 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 make the the triage. Okay, so let me just um, conclude with one final question. Uh, you performed mechanical thrombolysis under general anesthesia in the majority of these cases. Obviously, this is a controversial issue. People argue that uh, it's time consuming, that there are potential problems with patients' blood pressure and other vital signs that could uh, make general anesthesia adversely impact the effects of me mechanical thrombolysis. So can you discuss why you performed most of these procedures under general anesthesia? What is your protocol at your institution? Um, we performed thrombectomy fully under general anesthesia at the beginning of our experience in 2009. We have a dedicated team of uh, neuroanesthesiologists here. And the first paper we published on the first 50 patients was 54% of good outcomes. So it was really encouraging, at least in our center. So, so uh, we, we were I mean, just pushing this way of doing with a very quick team that were putting the patient into a sleep before the, you finished uh, to prepare the table. So they were so quick and they have also a protocol of uh, uh, blood pressure maintenance using uh, vasoactive amines before the induction. So we, we, have, we have a very specialist, uh, specialized team. So it was our first move uh, to do that 100% in RGA. Then we had a period of the growing literature uh, publishing uh, bad and bad results and worsening secondary to general anesthesia pushed us to change this bit and to uh, move to uh, local anesthesia. That's what we did for and for the and I think two years ago we we, we were changing our habits, uh, going back to local anesthesia, seventy percent of uh, uh, local sedation versus only thirty percent general anesthesia. But since we get the siesta results. And there is another trial uh, on the course now with uh, uh, the Gaze study as well. Uh, the Siesta trial, that is the best level of evidence we have now because it is a level 1A of evidence. It's a randomized control uh, uh, trial, despite it is uh, only in one center. is showing us clearly that uh, there is no harm to do general anesthesia if you do it properly. So I think it's the, the best level of evidence we have today. The best level is the randomized control trial of SESTA, and it is clearly demonstrating that there is no uh, specific arm uh, on the GA group. So uh, we need, of course, more RCT to, to conclude on this question. But I think now doing GA did not arm patient, I think, uh, in, this, uh, in, this, uh, in this study. So if it was arming, I think it was uh, in defavor of the main conclusion. So I think it doesn't that much interfere with the main result of the, of the, of the article. Excellent points, uh, Vincent. So I, I would like to thank uh, both you and Isabel uh, for your time today discussing this manuscript again entitled Favorable Revascularization Therapy in Patients with Aspects Less Than or Equal to Five on DWI and Anterior Circulation Stroke published in the print issue of the Journal of Neurointerventional Surgery in January and currently on our website. So thank you again for your time, uh, and we look forward to your future contributions to the JNIS.